All right, welcome back to the Christian Tactician Podcast. I am your host, Adam Yates. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to me today. Thank you so much for the support that you're giving me. You are here tuned into the Christian Tactician Podcast, and uh, I know I get a lot of listeners, and I get a lot of them that are first-time listeners. If you've chosen to listen to me here for the first time, thank you so much, and I hope that you come here with uh, with an expectation that you would spend uh, the time listening here to be uh, encouraged and strengthened and edified. You know, my podcast is something, my desire is something that, that you know, I have this I have this passion to call men, to, to motivate men, to be a cheerleader, to be an encourager to men, to stand up and be Christian men. Uh, this is a difficult day. This is a difficult time that we live in, in the course of history and in the changes in our society and all of these things that we see around us. You know, this is a difficult day to be a man, a Christian man. And, and that's what this podcast is here to encourage you on is being a Christian man. We're going to look at God's Word. We're going to look at Christ. We're going to look at examples. We're going to talk about these things that can help to bring us to that fullness of a Christian man that Christ called us to. You know, I want to I want to remind you that God, He is a God of purpose. He is a God who knows what He's doing. Don't ever forget that. When when you find yourself in struggles and difficulties, and they're going to come, they will always come until that day that that we are changed. The scriptures say, in a twinkling of an eye, and, and our mortal body puts on immortality. When that day comes, when we stand before the Lord, the things of this earth are not going to affect us anymore. But up until then. We are going to be challenged. We're going to have difficulties. But God, he's a God of purpose. He knew what he was doing when he created you. He knew what he was doing. You weren't an accident. You weren't a mistake. He knew what he was doing when he made you a man. And a God who knows what he's doing, who knows how to lead and orchestrate lives, he knows how to get you to where he wants you to be. And I want you to be encouraged by that. I want that to be something that you draw on frequently because I know that we are challenged. This life is so full of challenges, and they're difficult, and they're hard. It's a burden. It's heavy so often that we have to walk around with when we're trying to be a Christ-like man. But God, God of purpose, He knows what He's doing. Dogs also bark at what they don't know. You know, I've said this before. Some of you may disagree with it, but as I look, I see that society has got a really poor picture of what manhood is, and frankly, they're afraid of it. And why are they? Because Hollywood and music and influential people and the deterioration of marriage and the dumbing down of religion and all of these things, um, trying to to uh, reduce uh, the differences between men and women, all of these things, it has given an untrue and an incomplete picture of what manhood is. And so when we talk about being a man, a Christian man, being a leader of your house, being someone who sets a standard and a man of expectation and action and all of these things that I believe are so vitally important and so scripturally sound to how to, how to make us and how to, how to form us into Christian men, we should expect that society and that people around us are going to be concerned about it because they don't know what it is. And so we have an opportunity when we start walking forward in the footsteps of Christ, trying to fulfill the stature of a man that he put forward, when we start to make changes, positive changes, Christian, godly, religious, uh, righteous changes in our life, and we start to step up as men, we begin to show people another picture of manhood so that hopefully, you know, one person at a time, you know, uh, one interaction at a time, we start to show somebody that, that there is a picture of a Christian man that is not to be feared. It's to be, it's to be uh, admired. It's to be looked up to. It's to be uh, something that, that others uh, draw strength upon and hope to emulate, you know, for the young men around you and, and even the older men and even those who are your peers. Because this world and, and, and society and Satan, as he has worked in the hearts of people, has, has done a, a, just a tremendous job in dumbing down religion and dumbing down the gospel and dumbing down people's expectation for a Christian and, and and Christ calls us higher and he helps us to know you know he says that you you are to be perfect even as he is perfect our efforts are to emulate him in all that we do that we strive for perfection Christian perfection that while it may not be attainable it's always our focus that's where we're going and and I want to talk today I want to talk today about focus. I want to talk today about where we're going. I want to talk today about expectation. If you have listened to my previous podcasts, then you know that that I have um, I put together a, a podcast and what is a man? And I talked about four things. A man does not stand by idle. A man is a man of action. 
a Christian man is one who who he he is he is making efforts to uh, look out for those who are around him to address issues in his life. He's not just going to sit by and do nothing and watch other people suffer. He's going to examine his own self and see where he has failures, where he has mistakes, how to make it better. A man is a man of action. We're called to action. A man does not stand by idle. That second thing of a man is a man accepts and desires responsibility. If you are a man, there is responsibility that comes with it. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to have some statements, uh, some scriptures about baptism. You know, if you've committed yourself to Christ, there are responsibilities that come along with it. We as men cannot be, should not be afraid of responsibility. We should not try to shirk responsibility. We accept it. It is part of what God purposed us for. To be responsible in a job, in a relationship, for others around us, okay? And not only should we accept that responsibility, but we should desire it. I always draw back on that scripture in Isaiah in the sixth chapter. Isaiah has this vision, and he sees God on the throne, and God is looking, and he says, Who are we going to send? Who will go and speak for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. I desire the responsibility for you. We should be men of responsibility. A man is a man of leadership. He leads from the front. He's visible. He's not afraid. He's not hiding in the back. He's not sending other people to do his work. A man is a man of leadership. He's the standard bearer. He's the one who sets the example. He's the one who sets the expectation. And he's not doing it just saying, hey, uh, do as I say and not as I do. No, he's visible. It's servant leadership, showing the path, showing the way. A man is a man who leads from the front. And the last one, and what we're going to talk about today, this aspect of manhood that I want to I want to really expand upon today, is a man of Christ is a man of expectation. That if we don't have something that we are setting our eyes upon that motivates us to go forward, then we can't accomplish this. And the truth of the matter is, as a Christian, period, man, woman, it doesn't matter. If you are not motivated by expectation of something good that lies before you, you cannot be a Christian. Because Christianity calls for sacrifice. It calls for uh, temperance. It calls for humility. It calls for putting away our, our own humanness. You know, people say, well, humans are inherently good. Baloney. That's absolute garbage. Humans are inherently out for themselves. Humans are inherently out for survival, and it's always what's best for the person. When, when, when decisions are made that, that go against that, it's because something has motivated a, a person, a human, to do otherwise. A Christian is about expectation, and a Christian man has to be a man of expectation, that there has to be a reason why it's all worth it, that the, the glaring eye and the critical eye of the world doesn't phase us because there's something that we realize is in the future. You know, and, I'm, and I, I love the book of Hebrews. And if you look in the book of Hebrews, you get to that 11th chapter and into that 12th chapter of Hebrews, and, and you go to the end, you know, and, and the writer spends this time talking about it because, the, you know, it's kind of, in my Bible, it has this uh, Heroes of Faith title. But, you know, I look, I look at it, and it says, in the end of it, it lists out all of these heroes of faith, and it says, all these died. And, and my, my words, my paraphrasing is, you know, all these, you know, they, they had this expectation. They never saw it. Let me, let me read it. Hebrews 11.13. So let's read this real quickly. Hebrews 11.13. You know, it spends this time before then talking about Abraham. You know, he was called to go into a place which he should hereafter receive for an inheritance, and he obeyed, not knowing whither he went. That was verse 8. And it talks about how, you know, he, he dwelled in the tent. He was promised something, but he never fully he never fully saw it. You know, he never, you know, he spent his entire life walking around and living in a tent. Here God had promised him amazing things, and yet he never received it. He never, well, he received it, but he never was able to truly enjoy He lived in a tent. But it says here in verse 13, Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This is expectation. This is expectation. We are strangers and pilgrims here. We're, we're, only, we're only passing through. We're only here for a time. There's, a, there's a, an old country song that I really like. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You know, this is, this is what we have to consider is that our expectation is not of this world. And this is a problem that we have. And, and I'm going too far. I want to talk about something before that to, to kind of draw you in. So if you look at my title, my title is Side Alignment. You know, I spent 
years as a police officer, and in that time, I was a uh, firearms instructor. I spent time, I was on the SWAT team. I, I taught a lot of classes. I taught some firearms and academy and all that. You know, teaching someone to shoot, especially shooting a pistol, is not easy. And there are certain things that we try to hammer and we try to go through and we try to talk to them. We call it the fundamentals of marksmanship. Among other things, we're going to talk with anybody we teach about the fundamentals of marksmanship. And if you look and you research it, you know, you're going to see there's some people say there's seven, some people say there's five. Um, I always learned that that the fundamentals of marksmanship that I would talk about were stance, how you stand, breathe, uh, grip, breathing, trigger control, sight alignment, and follow through. That these things all being present are are an essential part of marksmanship or being able to shoot well. And uh, and as you look at it, and as I taught, you know, you begin to 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 lay these things out in order of importance or of necessity. You know, so I look at it, I look at stance. Well, you know. Um, ideally, you want to have this this good stance, no matter what you're shooting, where you have a good strong base. You know, uh, your legs somewhat spread apart, about shoulder width. Maybe you're leaning forward just a little bit to absorb recoil and all that. You know, stance is important to marksmanship. But anybody who's done a lot of shooting, and especially uh, myself and some of my friends who who uh, would teach together and on the SWAT team, you know, we did all sorts of stuff where we shot on one leg, you know, where we would uh, lay underneath of a car, where we would basically shoot with our head upside down, we would do all these things, you know, and our stance was terrible, and yet we were still able to hit our target. That second thing, grip. You know, ideally when it's a grip, you know, we talk about this when you're, you're shooting a handgun. You know, for me, I always want, I want to stuff the webbing of my thumb as high up into the, the, uh, the beaver tail of the, of the grip of that handle as I can. I want to get my hand up there just as high, so I try to give as even of a plane for the slide on that semi-automatic handgun. Uh, I want it to be a, as close to an even plane as my arm as possible because it's going to help me with recoil. And, and, and then I'm going to shoot with, you know, with with a thumbs up grip. You can look this up later. There's no way for me to necessarily. Uh, it's pointless for me to take all the time to describe this. But you know, my grip and 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 my hands are are kind of coming together like a. Uh, uh, I'm giving even pressure on the two of them. It's going to hold the the gun. And you know, I'm going to slightly rotate my wrists forward as I as I extend the gun in front of me. This is again for a pistol. And you know, there's different grip for shooting a scoped rifle, you know, for a sniper rifle and for a carbine. But, you know, grip is something that we talk about. But but the the fact of the matter is, is that all of us who, I, you know, guys who I would shoot with, you know, sometimes we would goof around. And I've shot very accurately with just my trigger finger on the trigger and my thumb wrapped around the grip and my other fingers extended outward. You know, I was still able to hit my target. And so grip, while it's important, is not the end-all be-all. The next one is breathing. You know, if you hold your breath too long, you start to see stars you start to uh, lose your 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 vision begins to to dim you start to lose some of that um, visual acuity and some of that mental acuity and you have a hard time focusing um, breathing is important because you know for instance for the years I was a sniper and even now when I shoot at long distances you know when you're behind a rifle and you're looking through a scope that's magnified you know a 15 power a 20 power scope every and you're trying to hit what what is a very small target out there, 600, 800 yards, whatever it is, every breath you take, your sights move up and down a little bit, right? And so it's important that you try to control your breathing. And we teach things like combat breathing, you know, where you take a slow four-second breath in and you hold it for four seconds and you let it out. You know, we're shooting long distance. Try to take a couple slow, deep breaths, and then I'm going to give a full exhale. And then on that last exhale, my body is naturally going to relax. And I'm going to break that shot because it's when I'm going to have the least amount of movement. But you know, oftentimes, you know, if you're breathing, you can time it to where even if you're taking a breath and your sights are moving, you can time it so that you still hit what you're doing. You know, breathing is not the end-all be-all. Trigger control. Trigger control is so very important, right? How we press that trigger. When I talk about trigger control, you know, we, we want to talk about a smooth rearward pressing of that trigger. Not jerking, not pulling it a little bit and then... And then uh, and then putting hard, uneven pressure that you jerk it because that causes your your entire hand to uh, all the muscles in your hand to to tighten up to move, and that's oftentimes where you get you know with a handgun you get your your rounds impacting low into your weak side. You know, so a right-handed shooter they typically end up dropping those rounds to the low 
low and left, you know, because that, that trigger control is so very important that you're giving consistent, even pressure backwards and not and not making any sudden jerky move, movements. And the way that I kind of explain it is I say, you know, imagine if you were going to pick up a watermelon seed, a wet watermelon seed. We all know how difficult that is. And the only way that you're going to do that well is if you give, is if you grab it and you give smooth, even pressure on both fingers, right? On your thumb and your index finger. If you squeeze it too much or you don't get a hold of it evenly and you squeeze it too much, that watermelon seed's going to go shooting out, right? Trigger control. And trigger control is essentially important. Right, how we pull that trigger. Anybody who shot a revolver without cocking the hammer, right, to bring it in a single action, but just pulling the trigger in double action knows that it's very difficult. It takes some 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 real muscle to do it, and it becomes very easy to to jerk that trigger or to to not put even pressure there, and and then you end up disturbing the alignment of your gun. I'm going to skip side alignment because if you looked at my title, clearly I think that's the most important, but I want to talk about follow-through, and follow-through is essential to, to marksmanship too, and I'm going to do a podcast and bring that in because follow-through is important to me uh, about following through as a man and, and how we do it, but you know, follow-through is essentially important when you want to shoot because one thing that we that we notice, you know, follow-through is about when when you've pulled that trigger all the way rearward and that round goes off, right? The, the firing pin strikes the primer on that round and the ignition begins, and that's the first moment of recoil. Everything about follow-through is about maintaining or, or absorbing or being able to manage the recoil of that gun because you can't stop a gun from recoiling. It's going to move. You have an explosion going off, and for every action there is a, a, a separate and equal reaction. But it's about managing that recoil and every bit of it with the effort to find your sights again so that you're ready to follow up. Poor follow-through results in in uh, in misses because oftentimes you'll try to compensate before the handgun or before the round goes off and whatever it is, or it results in inability to take follow-up shots. And so follow-through, you know, while it's essentially important, it's also not the most important fundamental of marksmanship. And what is it, in my opinion, and in the opinion of most, most uh, shooters and most uh, trainers and all that, sight alignment? Sight alignment is important. When, you know, in a handgun, you have a, typically you're going to have a, a front sight blade, right? A single sight blade and your rear sight is going to be some sort of a, of a notch or a V. And, you know, you're going to align those things perfectly. That front sight blade in between that rear notch, equal amounts of light on either side of that sight blade in between that rear notch and the top of all of it lined up. And that is your focus. You focus on having those lined up. And as you put it up to your target, your eye is going to put that your your sights over top of your target. And you're still going to be able to see your target. It'll be a little out of focus. But your sights are in focus. And if you keep those sights perfectly aligned, it doesn't matter if your stance is terrible, if you're not holding very well, if you're, uh, and your grip is compromised, if you're breathing heavy or you're not breathing at all, and it doesn't matter if you slap the trigger, you jerk the trigger, whatever it is, you can jerk the trigger just as hard as you can. And so long as you have kept your sights aligned, you will still hit your target. There is a professional shooter, and he's one who he, he says all the time, is I, I, I slap the trigger like crazy. And, uh, and he's a very successful shooter, and he has won uh, numerous tournaments and championships and all that. And, and he says it. He says, you know, when my sights are where they're supposed to be, I slap the trigger. If my sights are where they're supposed to be, it doesn't matter anything else. I do. I'm going to hit my target. This is what I want to talk about today. Sight alignment is expectation. Having everything aligned in order to hit the target. And as a man, we must have our sights aligned or we're going to miss. You know, one thing we see is when we're teaching people to shoot, you know, and I'm teaching when I was used to teaching the academy or you teach officers to shoot and all that, you know, they're shooting paper and we want to see, we want to see what we're hitting. And so something that happens is, is we have this tendency that just slightly before or as the shot is breaking, we lift our head up, right? Because there's this thing that's in front of our eyes. It's called a gun and it's called our sights. It's getting in the way of seeing where our shot is hitting. And as you do that, as you as you look from your sights as that shot is, is breaking or just slightly before, the results in my experience are that we typically shoot high because the gun also tilts slightly upward. And so it's important that you keep yourself aligned and focused on your sights. And so I want to draw that in. Now that you have this 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 concept of, of how I'm how I'm talking about sight alignment I want to talk about it as expectation I expect that if I am focused on my sights, that I am going to hit my target. If I can keep them focused the entire time that I go through my shot cycle, the entire time I, 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 I press that trigger rearward, if I can keep them 
uh, my, my sights aligned, I know I'm going to hit. You know, as I'm shooting long distance, you know, I'm focusing on, on either my crosshairs of my reticle or, or if I'm using holds because I have a, a, uh, a reticle that's, that's built out into mill hashes or, or into MOA hashes, whatever it is, whatever, whatever I'm using as my sight, if I focus on it the entire time, I can expect that I am going to hit my target because I've done everything that I'm supposed to. And so I, I want to talk about that today. What are our sights on? And I want you to look at yourself. What is your focus? Is it on your job? It's hard to separate ourselves as men in our jobs, isn't it? Because it becomes so much of who we are. I know that 100% because my job changed two years ago. And with it changed uh, a little bit of who I am and how I view myself. And as I've looked back farther, I found that I put too much focus on what I was doing and not enough focus. My sights weren't aligned on on those things that were important. You know, I thought of myself as I was Adam, the police officer, the husband, the father, the Christian, the minister. But what happens when one of those things is gone? I put so much time and effort and focus on on my identity as a police officer, as a SWAT team member, as a firearms instructor, it, it became something I really had to challenge myself. And I realized, why was it? My sights were not where they ought to have been. It's hard to separate ourselves from our job. Is your, is your sight set upon making more money? I mean, it's hard. It's hard, right? I mean, it costs money to live. And we also want to do things. We want to enjoy things. I have here toys. Is, is your sights upon toys? You know, are you constantly looking for that new thing? You know, I, I, need, I need a new uh, razor. I need to get a new Polaris. I can go out hunting more. I got to get that newest truck. There's, there's tires I have to have. I have to have these nice rims on my tires, so I'm going to work overtime. You know, I'm going to miss time with my family. I'm going to do all that because my vehicle needs to look a certain way. Is there anything dumber than that, guys? How often do we compromise time with our family or quality time? We nix time for prayer or for study or those things that we know, you know in your heart is so important for you to be successful in life, and yet we compromise that, and we set our sights upon something else because well, I really need my truck to look a certain way. Why? Why? Why does it matter? How our truck sounds, the exhaust on it, or the rims we put on it, or the tires or all that? What? What? What is our expectation? That other people stare at us? And, and you know, I, I struggle with this. And I know that you guys do too. Are our sights upon advancement? Advancement in our job, advancement in life, or all those things. You know, expectation goes hand in hand with motivation. What our sights are aligned on, we're going to be motivated to go there. If it's Christ, which it ought to be. If it's his gospel, if it's looking forward to something that's beyond this world, it's going to motivate us to go there. Sometimes we look away, don't we? Sometimes we look up. I think a lot about the uh, the story about Jesus and Peter walking on the water, you know, and and Jesus walks across there, and Peter says, "Well, let me, let me come to you, Lord," and 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 Christ says, "Come on." So Peter got out of the boat and he starts walking. He's focused on Christ. And then all of a sudden he becomes aware that he is walking out in the middle of a, of a hurricane, of a tempest, right? A typhoon. It's going on. There are waves everywhere. And there's, I'm sure, lightning and thunder. And there's probably rain coming down and the wind is blowing and all these things. And, you know, he loses his focus and he begins to fear. And all of a sudden he finds himself drowning. If our expectation is not where it ought to be, we might find ourselves drowning. And so we have to we have to really challenge ourselves and look at your focus and look at your sights every day. What is it that I am doing and for what reason? You know, what is my expectation today? Am I fulfilling it? Where are my sights? I want to read Proverbs chapter 23, verses 17 and 18. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. You know, here it says that, and, and this happens, right? This happens. And there's places in, in Psalms where, you know, David is lamenting. He's like, how come I see these people? They are not living right. They are not doing the right thing. Why is their life seem to be so much better? You know, David, who was living in a cave, who, who found himself, you know, in the, the halls of the kingdom and saw the king throwing a javelin at him and, and all these things, you know, he saw all these things happening. He says, why is it that sinners seem to be blessed or, or they seem to have life going well? And, and I think sometimes we look at that and we see that. How is it that someone is doing poorly, they're doing bad in life, we all know it, and they seem to be doing, you know, they seem to be happy and content. And it becomes easy. So don't let your heart envy sinners. 
Don't look to those things. We can't fight any battle with Satan's tools and feel like we're going to be successful. It doesn't work that way. Our God is a God of blessing, and He's a God of contentment as well. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Don't let your motivation, don't let your eyes, your sights, your expectations be on those things that we know are not right. Don't be tempted by it. Be thou in the fear of the Lord all day long, in the respect and the honor of Him. For surely there is an end. You're not going to live in this body of flesh forever. You know that. We know that. We're, we recognize that. And the older I get, the more I see, the more I become aware of time. It's going faster and faster. You know, a year is, is, is only six months in my book anymore. It goes faster and faster. There is an end. You know, I look at, at you know, just the other day, you know, uh, this is, I'm recording this on November 1st, you know, three, four days, three days ago on October 29th would have been my father's 60th birthday. He's been dead for nine years, died at 51. There is an end. It's not always when you're 99 years old. Sometimes it's when you're 51 and you suddenly have a heart attack. So what is our expectation in life? Knowing that there is an end. If we're in the fear of the Lord all the day long, our expectation shall not be cut off. If we have sight alignment, we will hit what we are aiming at. And that is good or bad, right? If our intentions, if our desires, if what we're focusing on is all about ourselves, is all about, you know, some of those things I've talked about in previous podcasts about self-pleasure, about all these things that we do, about, you know, advancement for ourselves, we have the ability to hit that mark. If our desires for ourselves, and what I find so often is, is when we want to do something for ourselves, when I'm motivated by what Adam wants so often I am going to find a way to hit that mark because I am most important. You know, and that's just not Christ. He, he was never most important. In fact, if you look at it, you know, we, we look at those accounts of some of those accounts of him feeding all these people. And, and you know, he, he was trying to go and find some time by himself. He couldn't even get away from them. They came and they had needs. And he had needs too, but he put them aside for them. This word expectation that we found in that reading in Proverbs, I love looking in the Strong's Concordance of the uh, because it, it lays down um, the definitions in Hebrew and Greek. You know, I mean the the um, the translators of the Bible. You know, they they had to try to find words, and just like in English, there's multiple definitions for each word. Same thing in Hebrew and Greek. So I like to look at that when I'm studying. So you look at that at that word expectation from Proverbs, and it's uh, in the Strong's Concordance. It's the Hebrew uh, uh, word eighty six fifteen. And its definition, it says that word that they translated into expectation, it literally a cord, a cord, a rope. Consider this, that a man's expectation is God and from God. It's a cord that links them together. If your sights are aligned on God, on the gospel, on, on following after Jesus Christ, on being humble, being a servant, on responsibility, on action and all those things, there is a cord, there is a rope that links you together to God. You are tied to him. But likewise, if your desires, if what you want, if what you're working for, if your sights are aligned on a bigger truck, uh, a bigger IRA, um, being able to, to, to go to the, the dunes and, 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 and drive your, your, you know, your quads and all that there next week and all that sort of stuff, there is a rope that links those things together as well. That cord is anything that becomes our motivation. You know, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, that word expectation, it has this statement, and this is interesting. The act of expecting or looking forward to a future event with at least some reason to believe the event will happen. That's expectation. Expectation differs from hope. Hope originates in desire and may exist with little or no grounds of belief that the desired event will arrive. Expectation is founded on some reasons which render the event probable. Hope is directed to some good. Expectation is directed to good or to evil. That's interesting. I'd suggest rewinding and thinking about that. I want to read now. I want to read Psalm 62, and I'm going to read the entire psalm. So Psalm 62, beginning in verse 1. It says this, To the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall you shall be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth but they curse inwardly, Selah. My soul, 
Wait thou only upon God. My expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once. Twice I have heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work." This is an entire picture here of the difficulties that come in having our expectation in God because there are people who will imagine mischief against us, that they try to cast us down, that they delight in lies, that they do all these things that make it difficult for you to be a man. They tell you you're stupid. They tell you you're sexist. They tell you that following Christ is worthless. They tell you that you know there's, there's no reason not to live for these things today. You've worked really hard for this. There's all these challenges. It says here, you know, that if riches increase, don't set your heart upon it. Things are going to come and go, but our expectation is from God. When we find ourselves in these times of difficulties and troubles and they come, you've gone through them, maybe you're going through them right now, and they will come again. Have your sights be set upon Christ, who is our rock and our salvation our defense, who by his spirit brings comfort and peace, who hears us when we pray, who helps us to make good decisions, who helps us to put off this human man who wants vengeance, who wants to do things his own way, who looks for, uh, for advancement and, wants, and is motivated by pride and all of these things. You know, the Lord is our rock and our salvation. He's my defense. I shall not be moved. The rock of my strength and my refuge, that place of safety, is in God. Trust Him at all times, you people, and pour out your heart before Him. And that last verse, you know, we don't like this. Christianity today doesn't like this. For thou renderest to every man according to his work. (laughs) If we don't in some manner have our sights aligned on the fact that there will be a judgment, that what you do will be called into judgment, or what you don't do will be called into judgment. Your sights are not where they're supposed to be. We should be expecting it. And the scriptures tell me that it can be a day of joy or a day of terror, but it can be a day of joy. I want to go in the Book of Mormon, and I want to read in the Book of Alma. I'm going to read verses 27 to 31, 27 to 33. This man, this minister, he's talking to the church, and he says, I ask of you, my brethren of the church, have you been spiritually born of God? Have you received his image in your countenance? Have you experienced a mighty change in your hearts? Do you exercise faith in the redemption of him who created you? Do you look forward with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality, this corruption raised into incorruption, to stand before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in the mortal body? I say unto you, can you imagine to yourselves that you hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, come unto me, ye blessed, for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. Or do you imagine to yourselves that you can lie unto the Lord in that day and say, Lord, our works have been works of righteousness upon the face of the earth, and that he will save you. You know, this is an interesting reading, and if you go forward, uh, it's such a phenomenal sermon that this man preaches. And he, all of this is, he says, take a look at yourself. Have you been born of God spiritually? Have you been changed? Are you looking forward at Christ? Are you looking forward at his gospel? Is that what your sights and your desire, your expectation is upon? You know, have you received his image in your countenances? countenances? Do you look like Christ? Do people see it? Do they see him when they look at you? When they hear you speaking, do they hear Christ? And I'm not saying like, are you preaching all the time? Are you all? No. Do they hear someone who is kind, who is humble, who is uplifting, who is strengthening? Or do they hear someone who, who talks just as dirty and foul as this world is? Do they see him in those things that you do? How you treat your wife? How you treat your children? It was a challenge for me as a police officer because I dealt with some people who were just foul. I read this scripture often. What do people see? 
in me? Do we look forward with an eye of faith, with faith that there is going to be an end to this, and there is a blessing to come, there is a judgment to come? That is something that can either cause us fear, and we can we can uh, uh, allow that to be a terror or be a frustration, or we can deny it. We can say, ah, there's not that's that's a bunch of garbage. Or it can be something that becomes a motivation for us. I want to tell a story here, and I've got just a handful more things I want to talk about here. But I want to tell you a story. Some of you know me, some of you don't. So for those of you who know me, this is familiar-ish to you. Those of you who don't don't know that I keep bees. I'm a beekeeper. I enjoy bees. Uh, When I was a kid, I grew up, my family had bees, and I used to sit and watch them for hours. I loved them. I find that bees like me. Uh, I will be out someplace, out uh, at dinner or someplace, and there'll be bees flying around, you know, and a lot of times the bee will just come up and land on my arm, not to sting me or anything. For some reason, I have bees come to me. I'm not a bee whisperer or anything like that. I mean, I've been stung plenty of times, but but I enjoy bees. I uh, I started keeping bees again uh, a couple years ago. Started small, and you know, I'd preached a sermon not too long ago about expectation, and I and I use this story of bees, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but you know, the last uh, couple years of beekeeping has kind of been ups and downs, and it's been a lot of work, you know, because you get uh, a lot of times if if you want to start beekeeping, you either buy a small colony of bees uh, because it's cheaper, right? And it's it's a relatively small one, not the big boxes that you see, but a relatively small one. Or you catch swarms. Bees oftentimes swarm in the spring and sometimes depending on um, the size of the hives and all that, they may swarm more frequently. But you, you know, you can catch swarms and it's a good way and a quick way to build up your number of bees. But the, the thing is, is that a lot of times when you have those small hives and swarms and stuff like that, they require you to do something to take care of them because they show up with not enough resources. They're trying to build up again. You know, they're at a disadvantage. And in a place like uh, Arizona, Phoenix, it's a desert that doesn't have a lot of flowers going all the time and, and, and all that sort of thing. Sometimes you have to put in a lot of work to to get them to be successful. And so, you know, the last several years of beekeeping, I've had various, and I have hives that are very strong, and I have hives that that I've been um, just babying along. You know, I just finished some people, a friend of a friend called me and said, hey, we got all these bees that are living underneath of our shed, and they're starting to sting the neighbors, and we could really use someone to come cut them out. So, you know, I went there and cut the floor out of that shed, and I ended up pulling two hives out of there, and there's a third one still in there. And so I have these hives now, it's fall, and uh, we're going into the winter. There's not enough. There's not a lot of things that are going to be blooming and all that to to help them build up. So you know, I'm going to have to take care of these bees all through the winter until the springtime comes. It's there's work involved. There's cost involved, right? I mean, it, it, you know, I I have the ability as a woodworker. You know, I've made a lot of my hives um, frames. You know, that the actual bees put their honeycomb and put their brood and all that stuff in. You can make them. I've made some of them. They're a little bit easier just to buy. You know, sometimes your queen uh, dies or or she's not very good, and so you have to buy another queen or or find a way to do it. You know, there's, there's cost involved and there's effort. And, um, of course, why is everybody afraid of bees? Because bees sting. And, you know, I, I have found that probably 95% of the time when I have been stung, it's because I've done something wrong. Bees are not, regardless of what everybody says, they're not really inclined to sting because they die when they sting. And and if you if you know and understand bees at all, you know, they are a collective. They are a an organization where everybody has a part and a purpose. And so every single one that dies, someone else has to pick up that slack. And I believe 100% that God created them to be aware of that. But you do get stung. And I've been stung plenty of times. And uh, stings, you know, they hurt. I've been stung. Uh, There was one time where I was doing some, uh, I was trying to introduce a new queen into another hive. And and part of the way you do that is you go and you get a frame out of your good hive that has some honey in it and has some eggs that have already been laid in it. And you introduce the new queen on uh, on that frame that you took out of another hive. Well, and so that that, it, that involves kind of digging deep into some of those hives. And as you can imagine, if someone were rifling through your house, it would probably piss you off a little bit. This one time I was, I was doing that. I was going deep into this hive because I wanted to find just the right frame to introduce a new queen into another one. And man, those bees, I had them mad. They were ticked. Yet again, you know, that it's part of that 95% of the time when I got stung, I was doing something I shouldn't have. I was just in there too long. They found a way inside my veil. And by the time it all got said and done, I counted 16 stings between my face and my neck and and several bees still stuck in my beard just trying to get through to me. And stings hurt, but but you know why why do I do it? Well, I I enjoy bees. 
I enjoy bees. I, I find uh, working with them fascinating. They're amazing creatures that God created. You know, they're, they're, they're just fast. I'm not going to go into all the, all the things that fascinate me about them, but they're fascinating creatures. But they, I also get something from them. I get honey from them, and honey is uh, it's it's an amazing uh, product. You know, it's got tons of health benefits. It it flavors things. You know, it's sweet. Uh, depending on what the bees are foraging, whether it's citrus for certain times of year, you know, you get a honey that has a little bit of a citrus flavor, or or mesquite. It's got a darker, and it's and it's really good. You know, my uncle brought back some some honey from uh, Oregon that one of his friends had there. And, you know, and his bees had been on uh, uh, blueberry fields. And, you know, there's just a little bit of flavor of blueberry in that honey. Oh, it's good. It's good. And I, I endured all those things. And I got into beekeeping again. And it was worth the effort and the sweat and uh, the stings and all of that stuff because there was, I had an expectation that there was something sweet that was going to come from it, that there was going to be something good that was worth the effort, that was worth the sweat and the smoke worth the stings, you know, lifting up and moving those hives. You know, when you got a hive, uh, one of those, they call them supers. Okay, each of those boxes is called a super. You get one of those supers that's full of honey. It, I mean, it weighs well over 50 pounds. And that's if you don't have any bees in it. And bees do have weight, especially when you got 10,000 of them sitting in there, not wanting you to take that honey, picking it up and moving it. I mean, it's strenuous. The stings hurt. There's all these things. You know, you endure all those things. I endure all those things because there's something sweet and something good at the end of it. So I have an expectation. My sights are in taking care of these bees so that I can have something good. So a Christian man, expectation means that you have to be willing to endure something difficult or some trial or some difficulty because you're convicted of an outcome that you should endure as a Christian. That means that you're willing to have uncomfortable conversations with your wife. It means that you're willing to uh, pay attention to what's going on in your children's life. It means that you're willing to stand up for what is right. And I believe that there's going to be a time coming in this world, brothers, I believe this with my whole heart, when a Christian man is going to have to stand up and be counted. And he may be hated for it. He might be called names for it. But a Christian man, expectation, means that we should be willing to endure something difficult or trying because we're convicted of an outcome. There's an expectation of something that is there before us, something good, something sweet, something that's worth our effort. It's worth it. Your family is worth it. Your brothers and sisters who are around you, your friends, they're worth you living up to the expectations that Christ has for you because he purposed you for it. Expectation is what makes us willing to get off the couch. It motivates us. Expectation motivates us to action, to leadership, to responsibility. Ah, all four of these aspects of a man work together, but in my opinion, it's expectation that drives all of it expectation that there's going to be a judgment. The Lord's going to ask you about it, just like he asked Adam in the garden. Adam, why did you eat this? Adam was judged. Expectation that there's something good ahead. Scriptures tell me that there's going to be a time when my knees aren't going to hurt anymore. When the thumb that I cut a quarter of it off on a table saw a year or so ago, when it's going to be back. where I'm going to be in a place where there is joy and peace and happiness and the memories of this world that every time you turn on the news, you see the tragedy and the the filth and the disgustingness of mankind. Uh, They're going to be gone. They're going to be rolled up together as a scroll, the scriptures say, and burned. There's something good. We need to set our sights upon you know, our, our Christian men's expectation. I want to give you a couple things in closing. I want you to, 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 to look at, and I want you to consider this, some things to have your sights set upon, a Christian man expectation. And this isn't a full list, it's just a couple. But I want you to, to understand this. That, you know, if, if you have a God-given purpose, there is also a God-given path. If there's a God-given path, there's also a map. The scriptures are there for us to understand the ways of God, to understand his mind. There's no reason for us to be in ignorance. If you don't ever crack your scriptures open, you can never expect to truly know what God expects of you. You cannot just trust some man who stands up and speaks to you. Guys, I try my hardest 
to always speak the truth of God. But if you don't look at your scriptures, and if you don't try to understand it, you know, there's there's such a deception that goes on in this world because Satan is able to influence the hearts of men. And if you are not, I'm, I'm going to say fact-checking, but if you're not looking and seeing that what that man who you're holding up as a spiritual example, whether it be in church, some pastor, or whoever that you, you have found to be a mentor, if you're not looking to see that what they are telling you and advising you and encouraging you in, you know, if it doesn't line up to God's Word, then you better turn away from it. And that requires effort on your part. The Scriptures tell me, you look in the book of Revelation, and it says that that the books are going to be open, and you are going to stand in judgment. So these things are here for you to learn from. And if there's a God-given purpose, there's a God-given path. And if there's a God-given path, there's a God-given map how to get you there. If there is a standard, there's also a gauge of if that standard is met and a judging of it. Be expectant of that. Have your sights set on that, that God is a God of judgment, and judgment isn't always a negative thing. We think of that word judgment as a terrible thing, but it really isn't. So consider that. We need to have our sights set upon that, that, that there is going to be a time when the Lord is going to ask me, all right, Adam Yates, what did you do about this that happened in your home? What did you do with, with what I gave you? How did you accomplish it? You know, we, we look, and Christ gives us parables. He gives the parables of the talent. You know, he gave each one of those men an expectation. I'm giving you these things. You take care of what I have given you until I return. When I return, well, I'm going to reckon with you. We're going to talk about what it is that you did. And it wasn't acceptable that that man did nothing. It wasn't acceptable that that third man did nothing. He went and hid what the Lord had given him. Second Corinthians 9 and 6. This is the next thing I want you to consider about manly Christian expectation. Second Corinthians 9 and 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You know, the efforts that you make for God have dividends. Those things that you do, your involvement with your family, with, you know, I, I have several friends, and, and not just in my church, who are there active, and they're, they're working to try to help the youth. Teenagers who find themselves in these places, I mean, I remember what it was like to be a teenager. Being a teenager sucked. You know, there, I, I, there, are, there are, are, are men all around us who are trying to encourage, and they're trying to, to lift up others around them. You know, and I want you to be motivated by this. You have something to give. You have something to give, but if you sow sparingly, if you throw out just a little bit of seed, you know, if you have a garden and you only put a handful of seeds in there, you can only expect that that at best, at best, you're going to get just a handful, maybe a couple of plants. But if you sow bountifully, if you go out there and you put your efforts out there, you're going to reap bountifully. You know, so often I find in life that we that we get out what we put in. In. Be motivated by that. Let that be part of your expectation. That's part of why I'm doing this podcast. This is this is how I'm trying to sow bountifully, to try to do everything I can. The Lord called me into his ministry to be a, a strength and encouragement and a blessing to those around me. And he has an expectation. I know that someday I'm going to answer to him. He's going to ask, Adam, what have you done with what I called you to? And frankly, I'm afraid of that because I don't know that I'm going to be able to answer in a way that is acceptable to the Lord. So it's something I, you know, I have to set my sights on this. I got to work on this. I want to read out of the Book of Mormon. This next thing I want you to consider, Mosiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 39 to 41. You members of the Church of Christ, you hear this all the time when we're going to, when someone's being baptized, because this is a, this is a statement that was made to people who were about to commit themselves to Christ through baptism. Their life was now a promise that they would follow him until the end. And this is what he says. He says, now, as you are desirous to come into the fold of God and to be called his people, now he's going to lay out these things that you need to do. Willing to bear one another's burdens that they may be light. Willing to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort and to stand as witnesses of God at all times, in all things, and in all places that you may be in even until death that you might be redeemed of God and be numbered with those of the first resurrection, that you may have eternal life. And now if this is the desire of your hearts, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord as a witness before him, that you've entered into a covenant with him, that you'll serve him and keep his commandments, that he might pour out his spirit more abundantly upon you? You know, 
I want you to to have your sights set on the fact that it's not easy, it's difficult, it's difficult to do all these things, to bear each other's burdens and to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, but especially this one, to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and all places that you might be in, even if it results in your death. How hard is that? How hard is that when you're at work and you're surrounded by people who don't see things the way you do to be a witness, to say, hey, that is not okay, to say, I'm not going to be involved in that, to call those who are around you who have also professed Christ higher. That sucks. That sucks. But I love this in verse 41. It says, if these are the desires of your hearts, if this is what you recognize as part of it, and you want to enter into a covenant, he says, you know, be baptized. Make this commitment. Make this commitment. And then he says, you know, that if you do these things, if you serve him and keep his commandments, he says that he's going to pour out his spirit more abundantly upon you. Is there, you know, do we not want the Lord's spirit to guide us, to be with us, to direct us? I want to draw to a close here. I have a couple comments to give on this last scripture. Man, if you don't know this scripture, then you need to open your scriptures. You need to read because this one, oh, I love this. Isaiah 40. Verses 28 to 31, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You know, you look at that word wait in verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord. Strong's, that Hebrew word, it means to bind together, perhaps by twisting. You know, in another place in Isaiah, it uses that word wait, and it talks about binding together by twisting like a rope, like a rope. And remember earlier, we talked about that word expectation, and it's a cord. We're bound together with the Lord. When our expectation is, is that he will help us and be with us and bless us, when we look to him and when we pour our whole souls out to him, when we're struggling and we go to him in prayer, when we ask for our brothers and our sisters around us to lift us up, pray for me, I'm struggling. When we're willing to endure the struggles and difficulties of this world, and it's hard, it's hard to be a witness. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. They that are bound together with the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles to, to get away, to be taken from those things that are difficulties. The Lord is a Lord of deliverance. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Set your sights upon this. God has not called you to something that he's not going to help you in. And James, it says, we draw nigh to God and he draws nigh to us. He's looking. What are you doing? Are you getting closer to him? Are you making efforts? What's your expectation? So consider these things. Are your sights aligned on the Lord? What is it that's your expectation? What's motivating you? Arise from the dust and be men.